six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 213. And it is clear the tower. Prepare yourself for a world of What is going on, everybody? Conley here with the Science Nights in the Morning. We have uh, all the professors here, Dr. Sean Graham, Dr. Anurban Bhattacharjee, and Dr. Thomas Schiller. I'm your host, Conley Razor, and we have a very special guest today, uh, professor at Solar State University, Dr. Martin Terry is here, and uh, we're going to be talking about the mysterious plant... Peyote. Dr. Uh, Terry, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Thank you. It's a, it's a gorgeous, it, it's been a gorgeous fall so far. And um, the trees are starting to change. The fall colors are starting to come out. Amazing. And uh, man, just everything around this area is just absolutely gorgeous. And, sure. Oh yeah. And we thank you for coming in too, by the way. My pleasure. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and start out. Uh, Dr. Sean Graham, uh, you, uh, me, myself, I, I'm somewhat familiar with uh, peyote. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm somewhat familiar with a lot of substances, actually. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's another time, another place. Uh-huh. Uh, you're not familiar with peyote. No. So do you have some questions for uh, Dr. Terry about about this mysterious cactus and and why it is so iconic? So, hold on. This episode, oh. I'm assuming, we're going to talk about peyote, right? Peyote. See, excellent. Neither have I. I have no idea. Oh, you have no? No. Yes. So, all right. Otterbon yeah. has no familiarity with the plant. Yes. I, no, I know. Say, when we say familiarity, we've got air quotes up. Yeah. Right. And I have, yeah, I know the plant theory, but otherwise I have no <laughs> idea how it looks like or what it like blossoms. Or, yeah. Yeah. So. And so for, for people like us, Rubes, who have no idea, right? Uh, some people, they probably heard of peyote, but what, what the hell is it? Okay. First of all, it's a plant. Yeah. And uh, it's a plant that thrives in the desert. Hence, we see it in West Texas. But also, we see it down in South Texas, uh, close to the Rio Grande, um, where the, the days get hot, uh-huh. the night's not too cold, and uh, the soil is full of calcium, which they love. So it does real well down there. In fact, most of, most of the, the actual peyote harvesting that goes on these days for, for the religious purposes um, comes from South Texas. Okay. And, uh, so is that means does is peyote a Texas plant? or It, it doesn't appear in Mexico at all then? It does. There are several species in uh, Mexico. We're, on, on this side of the Rio Grande, we just talk about the one species, which is Lophophora williamsii. Now, do they also call peyote the nurse plant or the nursing plant? Have you uh, heard of that name? You're getting close. Okay. Uh, something that is referred to as a nurse plant is generally a large plant that, uh, in the case of, of peyote, which is growing down here on, on the floor of the desert under this nice uh, umbrella of a shade-producing plant. Uh, that, that's what makes it work. Uh, I see. The, the, the partial shade is exactly what uh, peyote likes the best. It doesn't like full, full sun with, you know, without end. Uh, and it doesn't like too much rain. It, it, they can drown. 
Hmm. Uh, in, when either too much rain or, or a hurricane coming in off the Gulf. So I guess that's one of the reasons you can take uh, Sahara and Arabian deserts out of the way because it's only sand dunes. You won't get any rocky structures exactly. and stuff like Pe- that. Peyote would just shrivel up to nothing in the, in the Sahara. Yeah, it needs a, our, our desert's actually pretty lush um, from a world perspective. Yeah. And it has, you have these situations where you got plants kind of growing under another plant and struggling and, and, and the nurse plant kind of uh, helping another plant out. Uh, doesn't even know it's helping it, but right. more specifically, it's a special kind of plant. The kind of plants that we typically associate with the desert, it's a cactus, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but it's a weird cactus. Because most is. people, when they think of cactus, they think of uh, a plant with spines Prickly all spines. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the the peyote cactus is it has hairs, little tufts of hairs, where there would be spines on other cacti. It doesn't need spines. It's mm. it's it defends itself by having alkaloids, uh-huh. which uh, when anything uh, any mammal say eats the the top of the peyote plant, which is full of the alkaloids. Um, it's likely to not be very happy with the result. <laughs> yeah, it, it produces a, a fairly bitter taste. Right? Very bitter, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so, before to go for people, we all know what a cacti looks like usually uh, on a general scale, what a cacti would look like. So, what would separate a cacti from unlike a normal a shrub or something like that, like a rose, so like this, a succulent. Uh, yeah, succulent or like a even a rose bush. Like to say, what would separate a cacti from them? And this is like a because somebody who is n- not into botany and I do not know what exactly the you know the what makes a cactus a cactus. Yeah, because you, you know you know because I've always studied. Okay, this is in desert you get cacti and or cactus and it looks like this. But what would you bot botanically? Where would be the That's classification? A good question. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, what has happened over uh, many millennia is that what used to be, in the evolutionary scale, what used to be leaves have been reduced to things we call spines. And again, here, here, we, here we take some, you know, if, if, if the plant were to put out a whole lot of leaves, then the herbivores would come along and just, you know, eat it down to nothing. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that so easily when yeah. you have spines sticking out at all angles from the skin of, of a cactus. Mm. Okay, so that's where we so break the, up. The, 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 most of the cactus you're looking at is, uh, is actually part of the stem, right? And then that's the right. little spines are all that's left of what formerly would have been leaves. Yeah. And, and yeah. I guess the kind of the most primitive or the most ancestral cacti actually still have leaves. Yes, indeed they do. Yeah, but they, and they don't look much like cacti because of that. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you know roughly how old... Um, Peyote is like that. That uh, the particular species that we're talking about. Uh, you called it William uh, Williamsi, like Williams, uh, with Williams two eyes on him. Yeah. Okay, great, Williamsi. Yeah, yeah. And do you know roughly how old that that is? You, like, are you talking in evolutionary terms? In evolution, well, the or, unifying or, <laughs> biology terms. <laughs> That's what we call evolution. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's let's put it this way. Um, the the a typical cactus. I'd like to talk about the structure. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. I think this yeah. will get where we want to go. Okay. Um, a, a whole peyote plant, which you have to dig up to get it out without tearing it up, mm-hmm. um, it, it is basically the size and shape of an ice cream cone. Hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the part that w- would be, um, you know, the ice cream sticking out of the top of the cone, that, that um, is, is basically the top 
of the plant, and that's the only part of the plant that gets direct sunlight. The rest of the plant is underground. So you, you go now to, you know, uh, beneath, beneath that, uh, that nice soft ice cream cone thing we're talking about, which, which really uh, we would call a crown. We would call that a crown of the plant. Uh, you, go, you go below ground level and suddenly everything changes. Uh, it's, it's, there's, it's no longer this nice, soft, pudgy um, ice cream cone like thing on the top of the plant as you as you go underground immediately everything gets hard mm-hmm. and what you'll find is that herbivores will not touch that stuff they don't even like the stuff that's sticking out of the the cone on top you know the, mm-hmm. the so-called ice cream part yeah but they even less like the part below the ground it's got nothing in it for them apparently mm-hmm. and we can, we've actually measured the mescaline content of the the top of the of the plant versus the the sort of conical part of the plant going down into the ground, and finally, when you get far enough down, you get true root. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that the root begins just below, uh, you know, the the surface of the right. ground. Yeah, uh, not so. That's uh, that tissue going down is actually um, you, you you would have to call it uh, subterranean stem. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. And, and it will actually produce little buds underground. Hmm. If, in other words, if you, let, let's, let's do the scenario. Okay. Um, you, you're, a, you're a peyote harvester, a peyotero, and you, you see a nice uh, big fat uh, crown of a peyote plant on the ground. So you take out your machete and you cut it off at ground level, mm-hmm. which gives you the part that gives you, uh, let's call it 90% of the alkaloid is in that little uh, hemispherical top of the plant. Right. So you, you cut that off and take it to sell it to your local peyotero who, who sells it to people who can use it legally in the Native American church. Sure. Okay. But going down from where you cut, you're talking now about a tough stem tissue. People don't believe in that. They, they, they think that's got to be root mm-hmm. because it's below the aerial part of the plant. But no, it's, it's not. Uh, it's, it's really um, uh, a kind of uh, subterranean stem. Yeah, and it will if you if you cut off the top, if, if the peyotero gets the top of the plant, come back to that same plant in a year's time, and you'll see already it's begun to put out little tiny uh, crowns, miniature crowns coming really? out from that underground part of the, of the stem mm-hmm. in just a year. Huh? In just a year, wow. now they're, they're tiny yeah. by that time. You know, you're yeah. talking dime size max, uh-huh. but uh, it can put out several of them at one time. From that subterranean portion of the stem, wow. and then you go. You can you keep going all the way down to the bottom of the plant. You get actually the true root of the plant, which is very small. Yeah, it may have just a couple of little, you know, hair-like roots sticking out to gather what they can. Yeah, but um, wow, it's it's uh, nobody. Very few people understand the anatomy of that plant. Yeah. yeah, that's a very and that must have taken, you know, thousands if not you know hundreds of thousands of years to kind of, you know, find its own way into that particular structure, right? Could well be, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Wow, that's and, amazing. Uh, there's some other, uh, the other cactus, there's another cactus that lives around here, the night-blooming cereus, that has a huge underground structure. Yes. And it just puts up like a foot-long little stem. Right. And an enormous flower yes. once a year. Once a year, at, exactly. at, at, at nighttime, right? Yes. And uh, and it's got that underground structure. Is that also a huge underground stem, or is that um, what, some I, sort of a tuber? Or it's really a tuber. Is it? Yeah. yeah. So it's a storage yeah. structure. Yeah. Which 
you know, you, you're kind of splitting hairs to yeah. say, is it, is it stem or is it root? Yeah. 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 Same kind of a similar adaptation mm-hmm. though. Uh, you're gonna put all your put all your money underground if you're living in the desert. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So is this like a normal cactus cacti thing where you have a lot of the structure underneath the ground? No, that's not normal. Uh, Most ninety something percent of the species of cacti will have most of their, uh, how should we say, most of their weight certainly above ground, and they're busy. You know, the, those nice um, pads of prickly pear plants, you know, every bit of that surface is uh, being used to absorb photosynthesis, you know, mm-hmm. absorb, absorb sunlight and turn it into, you know, edible products or digestible products, let's say. For the plant. Yes. Hmm. Well, all right. Well, this is a good time to kind of get into uh, a little of your background. We have about seven minutes left. Um yeah, what really inspired you? What what made you so intrigued about these beautiful plants and, and so mysterious as well? Well, I just noticed when I was in my, let, let's say, six to eight years old, I noticed that cacti were different from other plants. Yeah. They were missing some essential structures, what I thought were essential <laughs> structures. Yeah. And so I just um, I dug some up and put them in the garden at my parents' house so I could just sort of keep an eye on them. And uh, I, I figured they taught me a lot about uh, the extremes that nature can go to yeah. to make a living. To survive, right? Yeah. 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 And that's what's really magical about um, this area out here in the high desert is uh, whenever you go, and I'm sure you have noticed, uh, Sean, as well, and I'm sure you have too, uh, Dr. Terry. Uh, you haven't been to Big Ben yet? Yeah. Oh, you have? Yeah, I have. Oh, okay. Well, then you may have noticed too. Right before it rains... Before it rains, before the first drop hits, you look around, something magical is just, it's, it happens. All the succulents start, it's almost like they're coming out to like embrace what's about to come. And the plants just kind of, there's a, there's a sense in the air, a magical sense that everything's getting ready to absorb every single drop of life that falls from the sky. Have you experienced something like that? I, I have, yes. It's, it's quite unique. Quite, uh, people who don't live in a desert won't believe that, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Neil Speary, he, he does a show on lawn and gardening, and uh, I was telling him about that, and he's very well familiar. We have uh, Dr. Thomas Schiller sneaking in the studio right now. He's trying to be very quiet. That's good. <laughs> he would have made it if you hadn't. <laughs> well, Dr. Terry, where did you uh, grow up? where you were digging up cacti and putting them in your home garden. West University Place, Houston, Texas. Okay, Houston. Pra- practically downtown. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so apparently this place attracted uh, you because all of the, you know, the unique, uh, you know, plants out here that we have. Oh, absolutely. This, yeah. is, this is, you know, so different from Houston. It's... Uh, <laughs> unspeakable <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it you can see the sky out here so that, that's one good thing all right well we got about five minutes uh dr thomas schiller is here in the house with us how's it going dr thomas schiller so i have a couple of funny cactus stories uh, the first one really isn't that funny for me but everyone else who i tell this to seems to think it's pretty funny uh but i like going mountain biking out on our trail system behind sol ross and um this is probably close to a year ago now. I was up there riding my bike, and, and 
I ended up wiping out and I went butt first into an Nepal cactus, Ooh. which is always a big nightmare that you have. Any, any people who have been out hiking or in the field at all, you always wonder what it'd be like to just pitch into a cactus. And I actually did it. Yeah. So I got to study a Nepal cactus from, you know, face to face or butt to cactus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of peyote, um, now this isn't the kind of story that you're going to think it is. Um, I always find it interesting when I'm out walking around in the field in really remote areas. Um, you find these kind of habitations, these these abandoned Native American sites. And especially close to the river, I don't know if this has been your experience, Martin, but uh, you start finding little clusters of, of peyote. like, uh, And you can tell they've been tended to, like they've been cultivated. Mm. They have little rock structures built around them. Mm. Obviously showing some great importance to the native people. And I actually went out with an archaeologist one time and asked him about it because we stumbled across one of these sites. And they actually did cultivate that peyote. They grew it in these kind of, I, I don't know if they would be like sacred spots, but places where they did uh, peyote rituals. And I um, always found that really interesting. But um, they're easy to miss, you know. Oh, I'm yeah. sure y'all have, I, I kind of missed out on what y'all were talking about the first part of the show, but um, they're tiny little cacti, mm -hmm. and they almost look like rocks. They're really, really um, uh, difficult to spot. Little buttons. Yeah, that's, exactly. Martin, that's the idea, right? These are... Absolutely. You, we would consider these rock mimic plants, yeah. and they're not the only rock mimic... Well, they're not even the only rock mimic uh <clears throat> cacti we have in the area right. we have we have more than one species that mimics yeah. rocks yep. and then worldwide we've got totally unrelated plants right mm -hmm. in uh the southern de uh, deserts of africa yeah. from a completely different family of plants it's yeah. also a family of plants that's a succulent family i don't even um, what is it what are those are they portulacas or something like the that portulacas are certainly over there yeah uh, I, or the azoaceae i can i can never keep them straight but there's little rock pebble mimic um, yes. plants in Namibia, places like that, that look a lot like peyote. Mm -hmm. And it's a great example of convergent evolution where sure. you got the similar kind of habitats, similar, um, you know, need to disguise themselves. And so uh, they look just like rocks and they're supposed to. They're, yeah. they're rock mimics. That's it's, amazing. And it's amazing that a plant would develop a adaptation like that because there's, you know, there's rock mimic lizards and things like that. And that makes sense. <laughs> but plants, that's crazy. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you know what, uh, Thomas's uh, story uh, kind of segues into uh, the topic that we're going to go in after the break. I can't wait for this because we're going to talk about some of the mysticism that surrounds this really majestic plant and uh, talk about maybe some of the rituals, uh, some of the religions that are around this and uh, maybe some of our own experiences. How about that? <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see y'all after the break. Thomas just gave us a little giggle there. So. All right, what's up, everybody? We are back, Science Nights in the Morning, and special guest, Dr. Martin Terry. We're talking about peyote today, and um, we're going to be talking in this segment a little bit about um, the religion that is behind this plant, some of the rituals, and the mysticism that kind of has uh, really um, intrigued our culture with uh, what this plant does on, uh, you know, uh, what would you say, psychedelic level, possibly? You 
could say that. So yeah. there, there's there's a good simple kind of first question is what exactly does peyote do to your body when it's consumed? Because that's the first thing people are going to think about when they sure. listen to the show is because you associate peyote with its kind of psychedelic or psychotropic effects, right? A lot of people do. Um, if you pose that question to a Native American member of the Native American church, um, he won't admit that anything like that is happening. Um, it's it's just a part of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And sure, everybody knows that when you sit around in a circle in a teepee with the fire in the middle and the drums going at it, what happens to be um, a, a frequency that uh, resonates with some things going on in the human brain, um, all that stuff, uh, they they don't want to talk about. The, the, the natives, the members of the church don't want to stress that. They, they want to quietly, you know, eat a mouthful of peyote, listening to the drums, listening to the singing, pass the peyote along to the next person. Um, in other words, it's, you, you, there's not much to, to, um, to make a big deal out of mm-hmm. with, the, with most, of the, most of the tribes I know anyway, the way they handle their ceremonies. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's another kind of church, really. Okay. And they have their, their own, each tribe has its own uh, unique rituals. Um, interestingly, if you, if you follow them back, and, and we don't know uh, how, how much time we're talking about here, but it seems that all the, the Plains tribes uh, of Native Americans have a story about the origin of, of how they came to, to use peyote. And the story in every one of those tribes has a common um, sort of origin. And, and, and it goes like this. Um, there was a, a woman, it's always a woman, mm-hmm. never a man, who is, is um, out in the desert and she gets lost. She doesn't know how to find your way back to the tribe. And finally, she just falls down in exhaustion and goes to sleep. When she wakes up, she realizes that she's sleeping in the shade of a, um, a bush. And uh, right next to her, when she wakes up, the first thing she sees under that bush is, is this little plant growing. Um, and the plant is always described as something that turns out to be peyote. And um, a voice tells, tells the young woman to eat the plant. So she does. She puts puts a piece in her mouth and chews it up, and uh, the result is that she it, it um, invigorates her, and she is able then to get up with her full strength, and she knows exactly how to go to get back to the tribe. Um, that little vignette of a story is is part of the the explanation, uh, the historical explanation that, that the Native American church members will give you if you ask them, why do you guys do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has nothing to do with, with an understanding of the physiological no, effects. It's absolutely. just part of the ritual yeah. relating to that story. They really don't want to hear about mescaline. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because it seems like it's a story is basically uh, peyote helps the person uh, give get direction to the place that person wants to go to like an inner journey that's why you take it not because of anything else exactly and it's, is that the modern ritual is that kind of what's uh, going on the modern ritual has has grown has developed um in many ways and and now what what goes on um 
in the modern ceremony is, okay, first of all, the afternoon is spent with these very long poles and this big piece of canvas putting up the teepee. Mm. Uh, all the poles crossing as they come out of the hole in the top of the teepee. Um, then at sundown, that's when things begin to happen. Uh, everybody's just sort of um, socializing and, and talking before. But, but when the sun goes down, uh, everybody who's going to be involved in the ceremony finds their way to a seat inside, inside the conical teepee and, and around the outside. So they're all seated, seated around the outside. The so-called roadman who leads the meeting, who, who really calls the shots in the meeting, is given a special place up uh, in the center against the teepee, and uh, everybody pays attention to him. And if, even if you want to go to the bathroom, you know, you, you catch his eye, and he'll look around and be sure that you're not going to cross with somebody praying, and he'll say, go ahead. And when you come back in again, um, you'll be, you'll be, um, people will be assured that you find your right place, but without disturbing anybody else's, uh, you know, prayer time. Um, so, oh yeah, the music. The music is really important in the modern ceremony, and presumably always has been. But uh, there's a there are two types of drums, or, or rather, I should say, there's the the really interesting one to me is the water drum which is a piece of deer hide that's been um, tanned and it's just, then, then it's soaked in water and stretched over this, this um, uh, how would you call it? A metal tub. <clears throat> and that produces a sound. It's something like boom, 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 which can be heard at least a mile away, sometimes wow. more. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you've got that music going on, and then you've got somebody else who's got a, a gourd rattle, and it's it's interesting. It's being shaken at the same frequency as something going on in your central nervous system. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the the term for that, but uh, it's very clear that the rattle and the and the the drum and um, the yeah, yeah, main, main, mainly those two elements um, keep keep the rhythm going and provide some sort of um, an input to the central nervous system. Everybody in that TP is is very much aware of the rhythms of the drums, um, and uh, so oh, and then okay, we might as well talk about peyote since we're talking about peyote. Um, <laughs> well, no, but that's interesting. I mean, it seems like uh, they're putting themselves in an environment. To where they can resonate with this ancient wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah. So the metabolism merges with custom. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So so then uh, at some point the roadman, the, the the guy who's running the show, who's, who's sort of telling people what to do when, um, he 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 nods that it's time for the peyote to be passed around. And so the peyote can be in the form of just the, the tops of the plant, which are, remember very soft and juicy. And it would be cut up into pieces and put in a in a jar, and that would that would happen. Uh, let's let's say you've got an ordinary uh, thirty person um, ceremony going on. Uh, there would probably be fifty to sixty pieces of peyote in this jar, which they would pass around, and each person would take his uh, a piece of it, put it in his mouth, and some will just hold it there. And let the, the the mescaline absorb across the mucous membranes of the mouth. 
others will want to chew it up and swallow it. Eventually, that's what will happen to all of them. It, 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 it all gets ingested. And uh, then, from there on, the, the show is up to the plant. Um, but it's, it's, it's the mixture of the plant and the person who, who eats the plant. The, the, the two are um, so closely interwoven that uh, it, it's hard to tell, you know, who's in charge here. Is it the plant or is it the human? That's interesting. Yeah. You say that, oh, yeah. But you, 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 first, you first let it slip. You said, then it's up to the plant. And that's interesting because you, you're talking about a merger, but I think – the, the the plant's really taking the wheel here, right? Definitely. And it kind of, when you when you say that, do you mean each plant's going to be kind of different in the amount of mescaline that's present? I I don't think that's uh, certainly the, the people in that tent in that teepee would not want to describe it. Of course, of course, um, it's just a different I, I experience. But do you think it's tied to that? Effect. Yeah, yeah. And and to, to me, it's it's a, a very positive thing that's going on. Uh huh. Um, but the, the guys who have been doing this, you know, all their lives, it's just part of their ritual. Yeah, and, and it's their religion. They're probably experiencing the same thing that I do or you would, um, but they make no show whatsoever. Yeah. And so their attitude and their the way they see it and their the way they're um, coming, they're bringing something to the table, too. So there's where the merger would be. Because exactly. some, you know, loose cannon like me out in the desert finds this plant and sticks in his mouth, right? He's got nothing to prep him. And it's just, it could be bedlam. It could be nuts. It could um, but if it's this controlled environment, they're coming at it with this attitude and they're calm. Their chemistry and, like you said, their their physiology kind of merges with the music then it can be a religious experience. Absolutely. So that's, I guess, a warning to folks out there who might be trying to do this recreationally, right? That's where, um, have you have you heard of like super bad experiences with it being taken recreationally? Actually, I've never witnessed or even heard of that. And I think it's because if it were to happen, if a person were to, to be, uh, you know, made nauseous or something, uh-huh. He would just be directed to go out and. Oh right. You know, so that does that could happen um, in the tent. Yes. That, uh, oh, somebody definitely could, can. Yeah, yeah. They get yeah. nauseous because that's all I've heard is that you know it, it causes people to to vomit uh, a lot. Yes. Uh, but and, then and, would but be, those really are people who are pretty naive to the plant. I see. Yeah. You know, they learn to overcome that urge to vomit. Oh wow! And it just becomes part of the ceremony, part of the <sighs> sensation. Has the um, has there been some accounts of uh, a spiritual guide that is a personification of the plant that comes to people in hallucinogens? I have, personally uh, have experience with peyote and um, uh, also salvia uh, and a few other things, but um, but I, I have heard of accounts and I've actually seen with my own, I guess, third eye, you could say, uh, these spiritual guides that come in. And, and, and guides you, and, and all of the time they were a woman, almost. Yes. You have. Uh, I, okay. Well, I haven't personally experienced that. Okay. Uh, but I have, I have heard people talk about it. It's, it's, it's real. It is real. So uh, people do experience that, and then they have these spiritual guides that basically take them through this ancient wisdom that is communicated through this plant. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So you you don't recall what you what you saw or you experienced? Not as anything abnormal. Okay. You know, yeah. I can tell you that the fire had a very special sort of uh, visual effect if you just stared at the fire. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of misconceptions surrounding what happens when you when you take peyote because I've I've heard like what Sean. So you've never tried it? No, no. I and and this is the reason the reason why. Um, well, one one reason is because I'm a control freak and I don't I don't like taking things where I lose control. I I don't think it would be pleasant for me. But that would just be my experience. But it says uh, six cans of empty cores in the <laughs> back of your trunk. Okay, it takes him twenty four to lose yeah. control. Oh, please, I would okay. never. And con- he's still he's still pretty smooth even after twenty four. <laughs> okay, even even after sixty beers. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. But but anyway, the the few different um, kind of experiences that I've I've heard other people speak about is like what Sean was talking about. Some people, um, I guess, people who are not trained to 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 do the full ritual or they don't have their guide, their roadman to kind of guide them through the ritual. Um, I've heard of people getting violently ill and having like terrifying visions. Um, And I'm talking about like goobers who go out in the desert and pick up a piece just to experience it. They think it's going to be like some sort of psychotropic mushroom or something. And they have a terrible experience. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, from what I've what I've heard, if you do participate in the full ceremony, the ritual where it's guided, and I suspect that the drum beat all has something to do with maybe slowing down your your heart rate, getting you calm and relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard totally different experiences from that, positive ones. Yeah. Well, the time that uh, I I tried it, and uh, it, listen, I and and you have to be in a really stable mental state I, I i would recommend if anybody do try it recreational to like be part of the church and actually do it that way and do it of course legally but um with my particular experience i put myself in a place to where i was very accepting of the this plant and letting go of my own ego and my own self and what i experienced on it was i basically literally saw the sun just travel constantly so fast i saw the trees just constantly growing and, and just dying and growing and dying mm-hmm. and uh, i was in villanueva state park during this uh, in new mexico and i literally saw the rocks slowly move like water it was like time was going by i mean we're talking decades of, not even geological decades, like time. more than yeah geological time more than decades a second mm-hmm. And you saw the whole world as a living organism that was, I mean, just as alive as you are. And you have this really deep appreciation, religious experience. Uh, and, and you feel so interconnected with everything around you. And it's just so valuable. And the beauty of it is you don't forget about it. It stays with you. And that's why there's a lot of uh, research going on right now. We're on the cusp of, of how these um, psychotropic uh, plants can actually aid people in their own mental health. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm all for it personally. Hopefully we can talk our senators and, and lawmakers into kind of waking up a little bit, but that's just me. So but, is, is okay. that something that, that is part of the ritual once everyone comes down off of, the, off of the experience? Do they share their own personal experiences or is it kind of your personal thing that you keep with you that you don't share with other people? I, I think the latter. Okay. Everyone in a teepee um, has their own experience. And when the sun comes up and, and everybody files out to, to socialize, um, they talk about, you know, 
trivial social stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about what happened in the two days. Because okay. it's understandable because you are on a very personal journey. You don't want to like talk about it to somebody else. You are there for your own direction. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you want to talk to somebody else because they don't want they won't know what you're talking about. Did you did you find this source of direction from your experiences? Did you did you get from it what uh, the ritual was intended for you? I, I believe that I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you share anything about that, or is it too personal? Um, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's so about. hard to draw the line between uh, perceptions uh, of of things that are happening in your immediate environment, like the fire. The fire yeah. in the center of the teepee is incredibly. Um, Attractive, um, uh, incredibly. Uh, what's what's the word? Come on, immaculate, uh, entrancing, or entrancing is a perfect, perfectly good word. Yeah, um, it's it, it, you. You almost you, you yourself combines with the fire. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that much concentration. Just, yeah. just, wow, everything is one. Well, we're reaching our. Uh, final segment here in a, in a little bit. And, um, you know, that this is very powerful, you know, this is a very powerful, um, uh, ritual, uh, and, and it's uh, a blessing to even be able to experience things like that in order to change our perception in a positive way compared to other very harmful man-made substances out there. Uh, so, so I, I do agree with that 100%. Um, after the break, Perhaps we can talk a little bit more about conservation of uh, this particular species of plant. William, Williamson, Williamsii, Williamsii. I'm going to get it right one of these days, but we'll catch up right after the break. Hey, everybody! Science nights in the morning. We're back. We're talking to Dr. Martin Terry about an awesome subject, peyote. And I, I just want to mention real quick that you know we've been talking about these amazing uses um, and experiences that people have had with this plant and it's i always love being kind of the party pooper and pointing out that you know it's not like this plant developed mescaline for our enjoyment right the whole point for this plant is to keep things from eating it right yeah. and I, I think i've asked you this question before martin when we were in a um, graduate uh, seminar or something like that is there anything that does eat peyote um not very much. Yeah. Uh, and let me tell you the one experiment that I did. Um, I, I took a, the top of a peyote plant and um, put it on a slab of limestone um, where it was, it was close to where I could look, at, you know, keep an eye on it. And that was in the afternoon. Uh, I came back the next morning and the 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 cutoff top of, of the peyote button had been moved about um, let's say a foot and there was a little a sort of pie slice uh, piece taken out of it and spat out again yeah 
So it's built up a good so defense mechanism. Javelinas don't like peyote, is what I deduce from that. Yeah. Very nice. They'll, they'll eat anything. Yeah. And yeah. Didn't you didn't you tell me though? Because usually it's you know with something like this, there's always uh, there's always some sort of an arms race where something can develop an enzyme that can you know detoxify it. And it's usually it's going to be like a caterpillar or something like that. Caterpillars can feed on incredibly toxic plants, and they'll just you know evolve defense mechanisms and enzymes to you know detoxify it. Did you mention to me that there was like a snail species or something uh, like that? There that is a snail them? species yeah. that does eat uh, the flesh, yeah. uh, the above ground uh, part of the of the peyote plant, and apparently does quite well with yeah. it. That's that's and I hear they're I hear they're really fun to party with. <laughs> the, well, does the flesh part have mescaline in it? The, yeah, oh yes, yeah. Oh, they it eat does. the top of the plant that has the most mescaline. Yeah, it goes and hangs out with Jim Morrison. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So is there anything like I mean this is like uh, like that is not people don't eat like animals don't eat it insects don't eat yeah, is there so anything out there just, just the snail and that's often the way it is no I'm just talking not just peyote I'm talking about like basically that if you take this entire earth right you take is there anything like a, anything that doesn't eat something <laughs> I mean not, <laughs> no 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 no, that's a big, no, no. Big uh, yes a comparable plant that, millipedes yeah. millipedes are invincible. So nobody eats millipedes. There's basically, basically nothing eats millipedes, but uh-huh. they're they're toxic, um, not super toxic, but they're like you know you see them crawling everywhere, and they're certainly not like getting munched on left and right. And um, they, and here's the thing: millipedes are the ones which has the pincers on them. Like no, they, they're they're not the ones that are venomous. They're they're poisonous. Quote, unquote, poison, but not. the centipedes are the ones yeah, which are harmless okay, to yeah. handle, but you yeah. don't want to eat one. Yeah. This is a successful plant because of its defense. It spread everywhere in the Chihuahuan Desert, and they were formerly common but not so much anymore right they peyote oh definitely yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah um in in south texas where the populations are the largest traditionally uh-huh. it's and that's where um the native american church people from all over the continent have traditionally gone to harvest their their year's supply of peyote for their ceremony but um what was your question again? In, the, in this area, the Transpecos, I think I, I read a paper recently. They Somebody did some surveys in the Big Bend National Park and said it's gone. It's been extirpated from Big Bend National Park, from people uh, going and collecting, over-harvesting the peyote. Because yeah, they miscollect it. That's the thing. Some of them go and they get the roots instead of just taking, you know, being, right. you called it a peyotal? Or what, who's the licensed person? A peyotero. Peyotero. Yeah, one who does peyote, literally. Oh, okay. All right. I, I thought there had to be somebody that was licensed. And, oh, there is. They're, okay. they're DEA licensed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So so those are really the only ones that are supposed to be harvesting yeah. this yeah. stuff. But, you know, for, for since the 60s, right, people have been going out looking for these guys yeah. and, yeah. and digging them up. Right. Due to some 1994 legislation that Congress passed, mm-hmm. if you're a, a card-carrying Native American and you have uh, at least 50% Indian blood, hmm. um, you, you can legally ingest peyote. Oh, okay. yeah. The harvesting of this, it, 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 if it's harvested by an amateur and they take the root stem and all, I mean, that plant's never grown back. And if they only take the tops, you said earlier, it could start growing back within a year and almost be full-fledged by, what, around three to five years? Something like that. Okay, let me, let me try to explain what happens. Okay. Uh, the... Uh, the peyotero harvesting the plant for sale will cut off by taking his machete and, and just basically going at ground level, uh-huh. taking the entire uh, soft green mescaline containing top. Sure. Um, that would go into the peyotero's bag. 
Uh, okay, then what happens to that plant that has been beheaded? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's, it forms a sort of a, um, a scab on top of the wound, mm -hmm. just so, so it doesn't lose a lot of water. So when, when, you, when the pigotero takes the top of the plant, uh -huh. he leaves the, the, the subterranean stem, sure. which is, you could say, the, the part below the ice cream cone. Mm -hmm. um, and that is actually, uh, a lot of people want to call it root, but it's actually stem tissue. Yeah, and that allows it to regenerate itself? That allows it to regenerate. So you, if you keep watching that thing, go dig it up and, and, and take a look at it every month or so, you'll see that, oh, there's these little buds coming out of that subterranean stem. Yeah. And eventually they break the surface. Ah, photosynthesis. Ah, there we go. And, and then from then on, it's Life real easy. Again. It's yeah. easy for the plant after that. Oh, that's to great. So, so would you say harvesting, if done properly, is kind of good for the plant? Absolutely. Oh, yes. that's great. Awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, but doing it properly and, and not going out and abusing yeah. the privilege, right? So Exactly. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. And so, even if everybody plays by the rules, we're still running out of peyote. It's, it's, it's becoming scarcer every year. Really? Yeah. yeah. There's just not, there are too many of us and not enough of the peyote plants. Yeah. You imagine if there were just people everywhere beheading them all the time. Yeah. It's great. They come back. But if 10,000 people do that. Exactly. Uh, throughout that's, the desert. That's our problem. That's then, what we face now. They won't be able to sprout quickly enough to replenish the population. Right. And yeah. So uh, it is a, I mean, it probably should be, I mean, it, it, it's protected in a way because, um, Nobody except for Native Americans are supposed to possess it, and you'll you can get some jail time for it. So that's a pretty good protection. Hey, that's better protection than a lot of endangered species have. Honestly. So, yeah. so uh, quickly going on. So there's you said there are some peyotes in Mexico, right? Yes. Are they running out there also? Like I'm, I'm just saying, can they are. They're running out there also. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is that like peyote? Because I'm not. I don't know. So is there like peyote farms where they they like actual like where you can. Have a farming kind of thing for there peyote. Should be okay, and, and up to now, up to now, there are no such. Farms. Is there like a regulation or something? There was a regulation. There was a regulation in the United States, at least in the state of Texas, that uh, cultivation of peyote was illegal. But that has now been done away with, and the the, the federal government has sort of stepped in and is taking charge um, of 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 you know. The harvesting and sale of peyote buttons. That's I see that as a good thing. Okay. Yeah. And, and there is a website, uh, cactusconservation.org. And uh, are you're the co-founder of this? Cactus Conservation Institute. I'm I'm, a co I'm one of the founders of it. Yeah. Oh, you're one of the founders yeah. of it. Okay. And if people want to get more information on the conservation of uh, various cactus of any type, not just limited to peyote. Uh, they can go to cactusconservation.org and find uh, a lot of information on that. So, Well, thanks so much for being here, Martin Terry. This is a great discussion. I appreciate you coming, um, coming out for it. And um, just amazing stuff. And uh, we'll hope to see you guys again. Uh, join us next week. I'm sure we'll have another great show, Science Nights in the Morning. We'll see you next Saturday. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time 
at bigbenradio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the Morning with a K. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.